John. 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 229 of Four We Going On 14, and I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and this week we're talking about Fargo. So there's that, then. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'll get you some eggs. <laughs> you go, you need some eggs. You gotta Jesus. eat something before you go out, Lee. You're just oh, a good yeah. You're a really neat lady. That's the I always problem. thought you were really neat. I started talking like that. I was I was watching it at lunch, and people were like, "Hey, what are you having for lunch?" Oh, I'm watching Fargo. I'm like, oh, jeez, yeah. Oh, I've geez. learned many things from these movies. So that that's in case you don't know, uh, that is the show of the week. We watched you're, you're Fargo, 1996. What did I do? <laughs> no, the, go on. We watched Fargo, 1996, and. The second Fargo TV show from 2014, 15? Yep, started in 14. Yeah. Second? Yes. There was, was another. Was there a first one? There yep. was. There was another one, 2003. I was unaware. Yeah. We do our research. Well, some what? of us do. Some of us Yeah, do. not me. Yeah, obviously. That's not my job. <laughs> to know things and stuff. Yeah. If you like knowing I, things, you guys are giving me fucking nothing. I've been waiting I, well, to jump in for like two straight I, minutes. I was about to give you something. I was going to say, I'm the talent. I don't have to know anything. <laughs> uh, you might like the other shows on the Podcast Collective, such as The Coffin Joe Cast, Dating Baggage, Mint in Box Cast, and of course, The Red Dead Radio Hour. And if you're looking for our older stuff, uh, that why, is. Why uh, is he playing guitar under the water? Because it's more metal than Kiss. Oh, yes. shut up. <laughs> Unacceptable answer. Let's move on. When was the last time Ace Freely ever played guitar under under the water? When was the last time anybody did? Exactly. You make my point. <laughs> what? iTunes, Blueberry, this? Stitcher, TalkShoe, and Podverse yeah. FM. That's not how debate works. <laughs> NoonFM.com. 12 noon on Saturdays, Geek Life Radio. And if you're looking to get in touch with us, that's 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727. That's not how any of this works. (laughs) See? (laughs) Space pants! (laughs) Sorry. I'm looking to see if we have any listener feedback, but I'm just clicking about. No, I don't think we have anything this week, so. No, it doesn't look like it. No. Nope. So Patrick, your 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 task is to say something um, offensive, ed- edgy, edgy and offensive, so we get some. What about, what about all the good things that Idi Amin did? <laughs> wow. Oop, do you... I think it's about that time. <laughs> no, I want to hear more. Oh, he boosted that country's economy. Crime went down. Yeah. Okay. I think I think we're done. Um, glove sales went down though. Music, movies, and TV. And sports, Did you, honest to God, say glove sales went down? He had about two seconds before I was going to start calling him Beanbag. Because <laughs> only Beanbag would say something like that. Damn it! <laughs> Poor Beanbag. Shut up! What? Massachusetts abstains. <laughs> Humbly. And only a three from the German judges. Uh, so this week, April 5th, 1996, the release of Fargo. Don't you know? 
Yes. Gloves hands went down because people had less hands because they were cutting them off. Yeah, we got that. Um, so there's that then. So uh, music, um, the number one song in the land is Because You Love Me by Celine Dijon. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen the... Um, the that is uh, so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Celine Dijon. Oh my god. That really that guy? That, no why? But for some reason that was it. The inner, the inner 11-year-old and Mike really liked that. That one. got me. <laughs> oh my god. If you guys haven't seen uh um uh, Ariana Grande on uh Jimmy Fallon doing her impressions, she does an amazing impression of Celine Dion. It's really funny. I highly Oh yeah. Yeah, she's funny. On April 10th, Alice in Chains played at Maje- the Majestic Theater in New York City for a MTV Unplugged record and video release in July. Ooh. Oddly worded sentence. Yeah, Probably really? My fault. I, I, I copied and pasted that one, so I didn't. Yeah. They, um, I think it actually happened in October, but I'm not sure. What? That's one of my favorite uh, Unplugged, so good uh, one. Between that and uh, uh, Nirvana's, those are the two... Best sounding and, and Clapton's is pretty good and Rod Stewart's isn't bad. Ten thousand maniacs is oh shit. I guess all the unplugs are pretty good. House of Pains wasn't that great. Did they do one? No. Okay. I was gonna say I could see why that wouldn't be so good. <laughs> <laughs> Daft Punk Jump. did one and they're like, What are we supposed to do? <laughs> they just stand there with their microphones around the world, around the world, around the world, around the world. And we're here. <laughs> it's like the lamest poetry slam I've ever been to. <laughs> so uh, Robert Louis Jones, known as both Guitar Gabriel and Niles Jones, was a Southern American blues musician from the early 20th century. Gabriel's unique style of guitar playing, which he referred to as toot blues, combined Piedmont, Chicago, and Texas blues, as well as gospel. Between the ages of 15 and 25, Gabriel traveled the country playing the guitar in medicine shows. During his travels, he performed with artists such as Bo Diddley, Lightning and Hopkins, Louis, Louis Jordan, I almost said it wrong, Chuck yep. Berry, Muddy Waters, B.B. King, T-Bone Walker, and Jimmy Reed. In 1970, D. <laughs> <laughs> in October. <laughs> and sometime in 1970, Gabriel went to Pittsburgh and recorded an album, My South, My Blues, under the name Niles Jones. The single Welfare Blues became a hit in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, and though the album sold well, Gabriel never saw any royalties. Disillusioned and embittered by the music business, Gabriel returned home where he continued playing music, but expressly for his community. At churches, homes, clubs, drink houses, and even at bus stops when children were returning home from school. That's weird. Uh, Gabriel died on April 2nd, 1996, and is buried with his guitar, per his request, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where he was absorbed. What's a medicine show? Like where it's, all the like the, the I, I imagine it's where all the hack guys uh, you know travel together to sell their elixirs and shit. Yeah, but in the last uh, three or four decades, they have almost uh, entirely also had a religious revival sort of thing okay. going on. Okay, so like a revival tent type of thing. Okay. Yeah, if you've seen the first season of A True Detective, there, there's a medicine show in that. Okay. Relief of Faith. Ooh. Steve Martin. Yeah, I haven't seen that in forever. Great movie. Which movie? Deep of Faith. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. Yep. 
Great music. Soundtrack is awesome. Yeah, it is. It's a great um, cast, too. You know, Deborah Winger, Liam Neeson, Meatloaf. Steve Martin. Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> On April 4th, MC Hammer filed for bankruptcy. Aw. That's Please, kinda, Hammer. That's kind of sad. Apparently, you could touch it. <laughs> On April 10th, the Grateful <laughs> Dead's Bob Weir, along with Jerry Garcia's widow Deborah, scattered half of Garcia's ashes in the Ganges River in India. Five days later, the remaining part of his ashes were scattered near the Golden Gate Bridge. Hmm. I was cracking myself up thinking of too legit to pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> too legit to file. I remember too finding out that that when uh, I was on a cycling tour through Seattle, driving the backup van, and I remember I remember the them announcing that Jerry Garcia died because we're like, man, they are playing a lot of Grateful Dead today. You know, windows down, summertime, listen to Grateful Dead, that sort of thing. And then it's like, we did like a 45-minute set, and we were really singing along to all that. And then finally, like, oh, yeah, that's in memory of Jerry who just died. And we're like, huh? 45 minutes, that's like two whole songs. I know, right? <laughs> you know what a deadhead says when his drugs wear off? This music sucks. Yep. <laughs> all right, moving on to movies. Movies released this week include Primal Fear. Fear, and the acronym of the week, Uh-oh. A-T-L-B-L-A-H, or all them little bitches love Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's beautiful. He's you know, right, isn't he? I, I bet if you pitched that to him, he would be in it. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Hopkins and a bunch of dwarves. Oh, in God. space pants? <laughs> a bunch of dwarves in space pants. Yep. So no, that is a that is a thin line between love and hate. Uh, so close. I do not know that movie. A good movie. Martin Lawrence. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. I do oh know. yeah. <laughs> All three of those movies were solid movies. Number one movie was Primal Fear. I've seen Richard Gere. Yeah, I've seen yeah. Primal Fear. I've seen Fear also. That was that was good. That was intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine the bad luck to schedule those on the same weekend. <laughs> For Mark Wahlberg, all he wanted was in the house. He just wanted to come in the house. Say hello to your mother for me. <laughs> Greer Garson was a British American actress, popular during the Second World War. Uh oh. One of America's top ten box office draws from 1942 to 1946, when she was a major star at MGM. Garson received seven Academy Award nominations, including a record-tying five consecutive nominations, winning the Best Actress Award for Mrs. Miniver. After her five and a half accept, after her five and a half minute—that's an important word—acceptance speech, the Academy began to institute time limits for speeches. Garson died of heart failure on April 5th at 91 years of age. Huh. Absorbed. She was the Julianne Moore of her time, pretty hmm. much is kind of what I gathered by reading her little snippets on Wikipedia. Can't be too bad, feel too bad about a nine, 91. That's a good age. That's, yeah. You know. About 41 more than I want. Moving on to <laughs> TV. That got dark. <laughs> All right, so the top TV shows are ER, Seinfeld, Suddenly Susan, and Friends. That's not the theme to Friends. Popcorn's done. (laughs) 
That was Seinfeld. Also, April 5th saw the debut of Bananas in Pajamas for U.S. syndication on Nick Jr. And you took out my Bananas in Pajamas picture. I definitely did, yes. Why? Because this is not a place for graphics. This is a place for text. <laughs> this is a place for <laughs> learned doctors. <laughs> Doctor. Doctor. I'm glad you got that, Pat. Mm. All right, so on April 9th, Face of Evil made-for-TV movie starring Tracy Gold, Perry King, and Shawnee Smith is shown on CBS. The film is considered to be, by some to be a recollection of the 1992 movie Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. Like they're just remembering the movie during the movie? That's a, that's what the movie about is about. They're like halfway through the movie, like, you know what this whole thing reminds me of? Do you ever see the movie Poison Ivy? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> man. Pretty much that's apparently what it was, was just like a like a retelling of the same story. Huh. Yeah. When you say recollecting. I didn't say it. <laughs> it just uh brings up a different image. Yeah, I thought that was the wrong word too, but I I didn't I should have just He doesn't know enough about words to have an yeah, opinion on it. I couldn't come up with another word. Oh. Alright, so Sarah Jeffrey was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, on April 3rd. She has been singing, dancing, and acting in musicals and theatrical productions since she was three years old and performs on stage with the semi-professional dance crew, Bodie. <laughs> body, more likely. Yeah, definitely body. <laughs> uh, maybe they work, like, at the yacht club. Well, it's semi-professional dance crew. You figure that's, they're going to have, like, a weird name for it. No, I, I actually just happened to – it's weird that I actually know about body. I Maybe they were part of the Olympics? I think I killed Pat. <laughs> we can only hope. I'm just imagining it's spelled B-O-A-T-Y. <laughs> anyway. Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> she is known for her work in the Fox television sci-fi drama Wayward Pines. Uh, the yeah. Disney Channel original movie Descendants and the NBC crime drama Shades of Blue. She also appears in Be Somebody. I think I think Josh is rolling for saves over there. <laughs> no, that wasn't me for once. Oh. That wasn't me. But it wasn't me. And normally that would be me taking my uh, ring off and dropping it on the table without... Uh... But, but it can't be Mike. Mike's been dead for ten years. Ooh. No, I dropped uh -oh. my chapstick. Oh, that's much less dramatic. Well, it's ghost chapstick. Oh, <laughs> my lips are so dry. <laughs> Slow Larry's lips are chapped. <laughs> We've got a haunted chapstick. Oh, my God. It will moisturize your soul. <laughs> what the hell happened? Uh, we have derailed. I don't know what any of that means. I, I have no idea how Sarah Jeffrey got us down to this path. <laughs> she has that effect on people. <laughs> Listen oh to Bodie. <laughs> Holy Keeping shit. Beyond the sports. Oh my god. Sports. On April 1st, at the 58th NCAA Men's Basketball Championship, Kentucky beat Syracuse 76-67. to That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> John Patrick McSherry was a highly respected and experienced umpire in Major League Baseball in the last quarter of the 20th century. Uh-oh. 
He was one of several umpires who were noticeably overweight, listed at 6'2 and 328 pounds, but he was known to sometimes weigh close to 400 pounds. Yeah. His, his sudden death due to cardiac arrest occurred behind home plate during the opening game of the 1996 Major League season in Cincinnati on April 1st. Shit. In memory of McSherry, the Reds dedicated Riverfront Stadium's umpire's locker room to him, and the National League retired his number 10. Found wow. out a week later, it was just an April Fool's joke. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was already buried at that time. <laughs> the joke's on you, buddy. No, that actually, he really did die that day. Absorbed. It's like a boat. <laughs> Absorbed. I, yeah, I got it now. No. <laughs> on April 3rd, the St. Francis Fighting Saints scored college baseball's run record as they routed Robert Morris 71-1 to in a game that was surrendered after four innings. St. Francis sent 30 batters to the plate in the first inning as they scored 26 runs, an NCAA record. They followed that with 22 runs in the second, four in the third, and 19 in the final inning. In all, St. Francis broke 12 NCAA Division II records and tied four others. Seven team records were broken, and only one home run was hit. Only 19 of the 71 runs were earned due to errors by Robert Morris, which had 16 errors total. Huh. Wow. They just kept hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting. It's not like they were just, like, you know, fucking up and letting them score. They just kept tearing up the pitchers, apparently. Wow. I understood words. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is the tweet. Joel, keyboard Joel. Or, uh, no, I want to hear slow motion Larry Curly. No, oh, it's slow, slow Curly. Slow Curly. Slow motion Larry. That's slow Curly in a colonoscopy. Hey guys, whatever happened to me? Oh my god. <laughs> Dr. No Nose. Oh, my Mr. No Nose. I haven't been at medical school. <laughs> I didn't go to No Nose Dr. College for eight years to be called Mr. Uh, it could have been that or Soul Ghost. I don't know. One of the other. Yeah. I was going to say, Mr. No Nose is a reference old enough that if you've only heard it us on iTunes, you may never have heard it. Yeah, That's true. Mr. No Nose is literally from the first episode. Well, the first episode is up there. Yeah, the Conan the Barbarian episode was where Mr. No-Nose was born, because in the second movie. We're not proud of that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, normally we stall like this when we don't want to talk about the movie, but these are awesome. No, yeah, he's right. So we, this week, we watched the original um, Fargo, and then we watched the second TV show. Yes, the Coen Brothers movie Fargo. Yes. And And the FX show. Right. Yeah, who's affiliated with that? Who, who, you know. A ton of people directed it and wrote it. There's, <clears throat> there was a, uh, a I, I didn't with the TV show. I didn't even bother putting the writers in because there's like fifteen, twenty of them. That's gonna say because I, I, I just, I normally don't completely pay attention to the to the credits, but if a name hits me, I notice it. There was a showrunner who uh, you may not have heard of, and then the Coens were executive producers. Okay. Okay. Cool. So they're at least affiliated with it. Yeah. Yes, which is good. So uh, I believe I am the only person who this is a first watching for. 
I saw it in the theater. And then we watched it. The, the last time I saw it, we watched it together at the house. Yeah, and I think I saw it in the theater with Joel. So, yeah, I have it has crossed my path often, but I, for some reason or another, never, never watched it. I, I saw it in the theater with whoever I was dating at the time, and then we saw it all together. And that was the last time I saw it. I know that. Okay. So it had been a good twenty years since I'd seen it. Wow. See, I own it. I've seen it several times. Cool. So uh, this is, as we said, written and directed by the Coen brothers. So wait, Mike, this is literally your first viewing ever? Yeah. Wow. I have. Interesting. I know, right? And now yeah, he gets a joke of, I'm fucking hungry now, you know. <laughs> Total fucking silence. I've done that to you in the car before. And now he, <laughs> I didn't even realize you didn't get that. Because like, when we've been driving before, I've done that to him. See how you like it. Total silence. Not gonna say another word and just keep doing that over and over. Yeah, and I, I just sat there and kept drinking my coke because I'm like, all right, this is apparently a thing he does. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so Cohen Brothers, everything from No Country to No for Old Men, The Lady Killers, uh, Blood Simple, which is Big, Big Lebowski, Big Lebowski, Raising Arizona, True Grit, which we watched. Hudsucker, um, right? We, yeah, we yeah, Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we did a whole episode on the Coens. Yeah, we did. Yep. Raising Arizona. And we've also done individual, like this one, individual yeah. movies of theirs. Right. So So I guess we could say that we're, we're big fans of him in this show. Yeah, we yeah, are. For sure. The two of them. Coen Brothers fans, yes. And this was this was their first uh, foray into the Oscars, I believe, right? Where they had the, the controversy over, you can't both be nominated together as a director. So only one of them could get the credit as a director. Wasn't that this movie? Huh. I did not know that happened. Yeah, I don't know that either. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a thing. And it, and it you know it, it it set new precedent at the Oscars. Hmm. So now have they changed that where you can? Yeah, get... that's what I'm saying. That, that, uh, this year they you know, only one of them could be nominated, but after that now you know multiple people can be nominated for the same movie. Oh, that's good. So this is starring a one William H Macy as Jerry Lundgaard. Steve Buscemi as Carl Showalter, Peter Stormare as Ger Grimsgood. Now, Peter Stormare, this yeah. is a guy who had dropped off the radar for me in between this and John Wick. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back for that first season of American Gods as Zerna Bog. Yeah. And it's just fucking amazing. He and that was this. I didn't know. Like when he first showed up, I'm like, I know that guy. I can't figure out where. But the second he lit that cigarette, I was like, I knew, you know, it was like American gods. Russian yeah. parts, American parts, all made in Taiwan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of people, that's that's when they first got exposed to him was in Armageddon. Which, hey, I mean, if that's as long as they get exposed, that's all that matters. But dude's got a hell of a resume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. Great, great character actor. So... <clears throat> But yeah, so where where we finish up at? Uh, Peter Sutherland. now, yeah. <laughs> Kirsten Rudd, Rudd as Lean Lundgaard. Harvey Presnell as Wade Gustafson. Both those Kirsten Rudd. <laughs> you sound like you're eating peanut butter. Rudd Rudd R U D R U umlaut D. Scooby, there's no ghosts around here. Rudd Rudd. Looks like you're wrong, Shaggy. <laughs> um, and uh, Tony Denman is Scotty Lungard. So, um, great cast. 
I mean, I'm Except I, for Scotty. Well, he what? was like, no, I'm kidding. I just <laughs> for a ten year old who most of his lines were spoken off screen, but okay. Um, so trivia. Uh, William H. Macy begged the directors for the role of Jerry Lungard. He did two readings for the part and became convinced that he was the best man for the role. When the Coens didn't get back to him, he flew to New York and said, I'm very, very worried that you're going to screw up this movie by giving this role to somebody else. Wow. <laughs> it's my role, and I'll shoot your dogs if you don't give it to me. Oh, Jesus. And, <laughs> and I could see him saying that in the nicest way possible. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so he didn't shoot the dogs. He was joking. And uh, he got the role and was perfect in it. Yes, I would say so. Yeah, he was definitely the the part he was born to play. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, jeez. Until, until I saw the... you know Martin Freeman? Yeah, until I saw Martin Freeman, I would think no one else could do that role. But Yeah, until you saw that British guy playing a... Nor- <laughs> a Norwegian-American. Right. Yeah. So uh, Joel Cohen had Francis Dor- McDermott and John Le- Carroll Lynch conceive the backstory for their characters to get the feel of them. And they decided that Norm and Marge met while working on the police force. And when they were married, they had to choose which one had to quit. And since Marge was a better officer, Norm quit and took up painting. Oh, I could totally you know, see that with him, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't know that, <clears throat> but you could see that Norm felt like he was a retired cop. And yeah, I mean that that's totally plausible. It is, especially in the scene where they're having lunch at the at the at the station. Yeah. You know, like everybody there knows him, but they know him from more than just being the husband of the of the chief. And he's painting postage stamps. Right. Eventually. So, uh Gare Grimsgoods has 18 lines <laughs> 18 lines of dialogue in the entire movie and never says more than one complete sentence at a time. Who was that, Stormer? Yeah. Yeah. And by comparison, Carl Showalter has over 150 lines of dialogue. <laughs> nice. So They're uh, just, uh, you know, funny looking. Right? Just in a general sort of way. The first time I saw that, the, when I saw this in the theater, that line get, cracked me up. He's just funny looking? It's, yeah, he's just funny looking, you know. <laughs> he's, he's funny looking, just kind of, you know, funny. I don't know. He's just such a perfect, like, meta joke. Uh, the wood chipper used in the movie is now on display at the Fargo Moorhead Visitor Center. <laughs> That's so dark. That's awesome. That is. <laughs> hey, it's Fargo, man. I mean, what, did anybody think about Fargo before this movie? Right. Well, especially considering the city of Fargo barely plays a role. Well, that was because there was actually more trivia on this. What was the name of the city again that they were in? Brainerd. Brainerd, because they they the Coen brothers thought that the name Fargo sounded better than Brainerd. Well, and they're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, it was basically Twin Cities and Brainerd. And now we get a lot of Bemudgy. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they continue the tradition. So, uh, in the kidnapper's cabin, Bruce Campbell can be seen on the fuzzy TV screen. Uh, Bruce Campbell was in the Coen Brothers' The Hudsucker Proxy in 1994 and has been in various films by the Coen buddy, Sam Raimi. The footage was not shot for this film, but it was actually old footage of an early 1980s Detroit-produced soap opera called Generations, in which Campbell appeared. Nice. So it's almost like the perfect storm. You got Cohen with a little bit of Campbell in, in there, too. Mm. Cohen-Campbell casserole. Mm-mm, good. <laughs> so I had forgotten how That's much I love this movie. Uh, I didn't rewatch it when we did the Cohen Brothers show. 
So this is my first rewatch in a while. Really? Exact, yeah, exact same here. Yeah, I skipped it because I was for the Coen Brothers. I was like, I've seen it plenty of times. Right. You wanted to focus on stuff you hadn't seen or didn't remember very well. Exactly. Yeah. And it turns out I really hadn't remembered this as well as I thought because as much as I, I'd forgotten how much I liked it. Yeah. What's well, just I, a solid movie? Yeah, what? I just didn't re- remember how how much I liked almost every character. And what strikes me about how special it is, like it, it would almost be a disservice to this film to uh, talk about the specific plot beats, because if you've seen it, you already know them. But that's not the point of the film. And if you haven't seen it, you really should. And I hope this show is our re- unqualified recommendation. And what made it special is any other cop drama, especially when you've got murders involved. Most of the characters are very focused. Lots of them are badasses. The uh, criminals are dangerous. The cops are gritty. And the cops are always talking about the crime that they're trying to solve. And that's all their conversation revolves around for most of the film. And, and this, this, film? Is, this, is, this is, a, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, this film, not so much. Yeah, it's, this is a slice of life film that it happens to be told during a murder investigation and during during a bunch of crime sprees, you know. And it's like even slice of life for the criminals, is you know. Well, I, for the first time I've watched this, what I noticed is that there is this almost pendulum swinging between really nice people, Marge and Norm Gunderson, those are really nice, nice people. They're a nice couple. You know, they, he shows up at the station and he brings her Arby's for, for <laughs> lunch to make sure that she eats because he knows she's busy. So, I uh, love the Gundersons. Oh, they're fantastic. Um, another trivia on this was you only ever see the Gundersons when they're sleeping or eating. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah food that's... is very central to their relationship. Like, yeah. unless she's in the middle of talking to another police officer about what she's doing in the course of her job, most of the time she's talking about her family or food. Mm-hmm. Well, and then that pendulum swings from Marge and Norm to Shep Proudfoot and, uh, you know, Carl Showalter and... A what now? <laughs> Shep Proudfoot. Shep so, but I mean, it's, it swings. I mean, it's like you, and then you, it, it, the movie slowly changes where you've got the great, really niceness of the Gundersons and it gets a little darker, a little darker, a little darker. And then you have, you know, wood chipper, <laughs> you know, it's, it goes back and forth through that through the entire movie where you're like, that was a really nice scene. Oh, you can really tell that Marge and Norm are really, you know, a great couple. Oh, look, now we're shooting people in the face. Yeah. The contrast between the good people and the bad is so stark in this movie well and then you've got william a oh go ahead joel i've been talking a lot i was just gonna say and then you've got the little funny little sidebars like when she goes to the store or the the bar to meet her old high school buddy and it's it really has no bearing on the plot other than that she's in town because of the murder investigation and he invites her to go have dinner with him or to have a drink well i think it also helps her get a tell on uh on lungard you know because you know she kind of saw his facade break right before he, you know, he could, you know, started crying and everything. And she saw something similar. Yeah, there's that. And Jerry Lundegaard, he is a guy that life has been shitting on him, but he has kind of gotten himself into it. So like I found myself vacillating between sympathy for him and, you know, I mean, he is, 
some of it is he's a loser because life hasn't treated him very well, and some of it he's a loser because he's just kind of a piece of shit. And yeah. he's just—he's very passive in his own life. He's like a—he's—he's a—he's an observer in his own in his own life almost. He doesn't make anything happen. He just reacts mm-hmm. to everything. Well, and when he makes something happen, it—he's almost like Carl Showalter in a way where he's like, "I'll take care of this," and he fucks up bribing the cop. Right. Like the reason Jerry Lundegaard got into the situation is because he's got this deal where he borrowed all this money on cars that don't exist. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love Stormare's uh, characters. Right. I'll take care of this. <laughs> like mocking him as he's just getting blood spurred spurt all over him. But yeah, that's I mean, and that's what you said, Josh. Is there's this a transition of emotion for Jerry Lundegaard in the very beginning. You're like, oh, I feel bad for this guy. You know, oh, he's 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 in this corner. He doesn't have money. His father-in-law is kind of an is an asshole to him. And then you realize, you know, Jerry, you're, you kind of did this to yourself. I think the reason your father-in-law is treating you like this is because you are kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. and Wade Gustafson is like just a colossal asshole. Like, oh, yeah. There are very few things more satisfying in all of cinema than seeing Wade Gustafson get his guts blown out his back. <laughs> and being incredibly surprised by it, too. Yeah. Like, how do you have the balls to shoot me? <laughs> Don't you know who I am? Well, and one of the things that, that always fascinated about me about the movie is how you're not really sure whether um, Marge is stumbling her way through the case or whether she really is just – it's her demeanor – that you kind of take it for granted that she's actually very smart and that she is figuring it out with good police work rather than just kind of happenstance. I, th- I think she's got that very disarming Columbo vibe to her where well, also, people yeah. underestimate her all the time. Yeah. She's like a and Minnesotan I, Columbo. That's right. I think they're trying to say that the TV detectives, the movie detectives, these aren't, that's not what real good cops necessarily have to look like. She is a solid policewoman, but it's not just because people underestimate her. It's because she's out there doing her job. And she's, yeah, she's really good. Yeah. I love that whole, that whole scene, you know, opening scene with her and the other cop. He's like, I'm going to have to disagree with your police work there. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just her whole demeanor. Like, you know, she, she knows what she's doing, but she doesn't have to be an asshole to everybody all the time. Yeah. Right. She doesn't have to be a badass and nothing. It doesn't have to be dramatic. And her sadness when talking to Peter Stormare's character at the end, when she's just like, all these people have died. It's a beautiful day and you're here. And you did it for a little bit of money. Yeah. yeah. I love, love that. that scene. Yeah. That whole monologue that she had in the car on the way home and the – I was I was nervous. I mean, the first time I've seen this, so the entire thing, like, please don't have him do anything. Yeah, don't hurt Marge. Yeah, oh. that would have really ruined. I mean, honestly, I think yeah, if don't, that had, don't no country for old men. This yeah, if that had happened, I would I would seriously, in my opinion, this movie would probably have flipped. I could see that. Mike's like, don't do it, friendo. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can't kill everything pure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and but her, but her, and the, it ends the way it ended with her and her husband just sitting in bed. You know, I've, you know, it's you. Oh, you, you, you're on the three cent stamp. You know, they, they're so they're so good that they're almost, I don't want to say impervious to what's going on. It's like she's watching it, but she never actually gets affected by it. I mean, she gets sad from it, but you you never see her 
on the trail to I, like I, I think becoming that's it. More, I think that's more proof of the theory that he's an ex-cop because they have almost agreed they're not going to bring that shit home. You know? Yeah. Yeah. This well, is in a lot of ways the exact opposite. If you've got a coin with no country for old men on one side, this is the other side of that coin. I could, well, but that – oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say they're very, very similar movies, but they're trying to say at their core very different things. Yes. Uh, and one is like uh, they even say it explicitly in the show, which we're going to get into, is like you got to find the good in this world. you you got to focus on that. And in No Country for Old Men, it's like the world is sometimes shit. It's random and it's not fair. Well, the the last scene I thought also kind of um, pointed to the fact that even though she had a lot more going on and things were a lot more interesting and her life was more exciting, she wanted to make sure he didn't feel neglected. And she that in their world, you know, what he was doing was just as exciting, if not more so. And I thought it was a nice kind of dichotomy with the rest of the story, which was so kind of insane that at the end of the day, the most exciting thing was that he was on the three cent stamp. Right. Yeah. The fact that she just put away uh, a killer who was responsible for this rampage has nothing to do with their conversation. It's not it's not that she isn't bringing it home. She's not even thinking about it anymore. Well, and even when even when he brought her lunch at the at the station. There was no conversation about the, the case at all. I wonder yeah, and, if there if there's some parallel in this movie or some kind of underlying theme about partners as far as like, you know, they're equal partners in everything. And so they work out. But all the other partners, if you look at them like the, the criminals, they're not equal. Sure. You got the criminals and then you got Gustafson and his assistant. You have a lot of twosomes in this movie. And they're, and they're always one. One is that they're always out of balance. So none of them work out. That's an the interesting. One, the one point. that is, is is that yeah is Marge and her husband. Hmm. Never thought about that, huh? Joel made him. Sorry, Pat makes a point. Yay! Sorry, everybody gets one. Yes, Marge. Just get one. <laughs> but no, I mean it. When I finished watching this, I was I was disappointed in myself for not seeing it beforehand. Hey, better late than never. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a good <clears throat> movie. And there's so many. So many good, I mean, good lines. I mean, I and and the thing was, I literally started talking like this when I was on that train watching it. <laughs> it uh, that accent gets into your head. I mean, honestly, if someone has never seen Coen Brothers and doesn't know if they'd like them or not, if you watch this movie and don't like it, you're not going to like the rest of their catalog. Yeah. This is distilled essence of the Coens. Yeah, yeah. This is this is uh, Training Wheels Coens. This or Raising Arizona. Uh, well, Raising yeah. Arizona is a great film, but there's a little bit of their sh- uh, spin on uh, family comedy. Like, you could like Raising Arizona and ha- hate the rest of the stuff they do. I don't think that's possible with Fargo. I see your point. Yeah, yeah Raising Arizona is like a crime story if it was with the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote or something. <laughs> Just over the top. A great yodely soundtrack too. <laughs> you got any uh, them balloons and them funny shapes? Unless <laughs> Unless you think grounds, I... funny. <laughs> yeah, no, th- I would agree. This is this is the one that kind of put him on the map with the rest of the world because the film going film going community was already familiar, but this was huge. Now, what what was right before this again? This was before this was Raising Arizona. 
Well, that was their yeah. breakout, if not their very first. Well, Blood Simple was their first. Blood Simple. Right. Which Blood Simple was. I actually have that on. I have that on DVD. This is right in between Hudsucker Proxy and Big Lebowski. Okay. Hudsucker was also kind of over the top and goofy, but it was a lot more mainstream than Raising Arizona. Movie, I, think. Oh, I love it. Hudson. You know, for kids. <laughs> What's wrong with the? We, we discussed this at the in the Coen Brothers show. Okay, we and won't go back. He, he hates hoops. It's ridiculous. The you know, blah blah blah. I don't know. Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's wrong. Yeah, I, there are just I love the Cohen characters that are these uh, wide-eyed people that even though they're in horrible situations, they've just got their unique and bright look outlook on the world. And that's not to say I don't like their distinctly darker stuff. I I love No Country for Old Men. Uh, I love uh, what was it Bridge Bridge of Spies. That I noticed, and that has to be on my list now because that looks really good. Was that? Uh, no, maybe it wasn't Bridge of Spies. Was it Burn After Reading? Burn After Reading was I did not like. Yeah, most people didn't. That uh, that was them. Uh, Serious Man Inside the Well and Davis, which was fantastic. I still um, haven't seen that one. Man who wasn't there, which didn't do as well as. People. That's that's super dark. Uh, Barton Fink, which has always been my. Oh pick. yeah, Bridge of Spies was written by the Coens. It was written by okay. Yeah, so it was directed by Spielberg. There you go. Yeah, so that, that I, I knew there was something there. But like, as much as I love their darker stuff, the ones that really resonate with me are your Fargo, your Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Hudsucker Proxy, even mm-hmm. Raising Arizona. Very, very bright and happy, if weird. Yeah. So, I mean, we could gush about this film over and over again, but I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of excited to talk about the series. Yeah, I am. Well, I'm just very happy that this movie brought us uh, the wonderful Francis McDormand. Indeed. <laughs> All of their movies, though, have a sense of otherworldliness to them. Even if they're set in the real world, there's always something that's a little off. But anyway, yeah. we already talked and about And they, they write before. creepiness so well. Indeed. All right, so we're ready to head to the break and then come back and talk about the Fargo series? Yeah, Is that- definitely are. Send the first half to the wood chipper. Oh, I want to at least edit it. That was another another way of me getting my own seat on the train. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to wear a tag soon on the on the commuter. They're gonna be like, "Don't sit by this guy." I wonder who's got the the fake leg movie prop. What? You know that he was at the very end when he was trying to shove it down with a piece of log. Oh yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's still stuck in there. It's probably it's stuck in the wood chipper. Yeah. I don't know. Buscemi's a little guy. He may have just been in the wood chipper. Yeah, just it wasn't turned on. It was just all. Just no, there was blood everywhere. Remember, the snowbank was covered in blood. You know that that does make no sense. If you're gonna get rid of a body in the wintertime, something that literally throws blood all over the place. Hey, well, it just you just cover it up with more snow and it melts away. I don't know. I mean, does blood... I think he really just wanted to put Buscemi in the wood chipper. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think he really thought it through. He's just like, this fucker's going in the chipper. <laughs> I think the second he walked outside and saw a chipper, he's like, yeah, I'm going to chip this fucker up. <laughs> Somebody's going in the chipper. He didn't say it out loud, though, I guarantee it. He just thought it. And then smoked another cigarette. <laughs> All right, we will be back in a little bit and uh, talk about Fargo, the uh, the TV show, eh? 
Heck yeah. Oh, you betcha. Oh, yeah. Wood chippers ahoy. All right, we are back, and we are now going to talk about the Fargo 2014 TV show, which I think may have been the first viewing for all of us. Yeah, I mean, I've been uh, wanting to do the show for a while to give myself an excuse to watch it, and I'm very disappointed in myself in not having made time to watch all of the first two seasons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there. Um, so this is what I initially thought after watching the first episode, I thought it was like an anthology, you know, like a whole bunch of single, single, singly, singularly told stories in the same world. Say that again. No. (laughs) I'm I'm not sure that it isn't, but it's seasonal. Yeah. I think each season is its own, uh, self-contained arc. Okay. Like true detective. Oh, okay, that that makes more sense. I haven't gotten to the second second season yet. So, although I believe certain characters cross over, and if you have spoiled shit for yourself on IMDb, like I always do, accidentally finding out when certain characters leave the series by counting the number of episodes they're in, mm-hmm. you will see for sure that some of them got more than one season. Yes, I I tried to not see that so he went down for 10 seasons so anybody who had 10 seasons and more or episodes and more i was very disappointed to find out that the guy in the boxers didn't make it past the first episode <laughs> well he was in two yeah. well that's true his arc ended on the first episode though yeah <laughs> so all right so this is calling them panties yeah that was kind of weird yeah, those are clearly boxers i know when he said yo it's because he found them in his panties i was like I I almost had to rewind. Like, <laughs> it's almost certainly one of those regional things. Or they were just saying it to, you know, because it's funny. Maybe. I, I'm just looking at the people who like this also liked on IMDb. And I think this is proof that uh, this is good TV. When you look at people who like this also liked Narcos, Breaking Bad, Sherlock, House of Cards, True Detective, and Better Call Saul. And My Mother the Car. <laughs> well, but Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul make sense because of Odenkirk. Sure. Nope. Yeah, when he first came on the scene, I was like, is that is that Odenkirk? I didn't really think it was. Hmm. Which, he's fantastic, by the way. Yeah. <clears throat> so this stars a Allison Tolman. Oh, before we do that, oh. I don't know if you saw, I added uh, the showrunner. I said that uh, oh. we wouldn't necessarily think of. This is run by Noah Hawley, a guy who's done this, and he's also the showrunner for Legion on FX. Ooh. Yeah. And your what cast list includes a bunch of people that aren't in season one. Well, I went to, I, I went down about to season to anybody who had ten or ten or more. So if the, there's a series regular in any of the first three seasons, they're going to be on this list. Yeah. So, so all right, are we going to kind of agree that we, we pretty much just watched the first season? Yes. Past that? Most of you know, I don't think any of us did. Nope. Well, I got to the end of the fourth episode. Yeah, I got I got through to uh, middle of the seventh episode. I finished six. I only got through three. Oh, so I'm the one that's furthest. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's unusual. Yeah, usually I'm furthest, but that 
I have a job now. <laughs> <laughs> what's that like? All right. Seriously, what's that like? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, so Allison Tolman, uh, known for uh, Krampus and the Gift. Is what they have what? Yes, that's yeah. true. That's a, that's, I love that band. Krampus and the Krampus Gift. and the Gift. <laughs> I don't know. Their second album wasn't all that great. So uh, she's Molly Solverson. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton as Lorne Malvo. Colin Hanks as Gus Grimley. Martin Freeman as Lester Nygaard. Russell Harvard as Mr. Wrench. Kirsten Dunst as Peggy Blumquist. Ewan McGregor as Emmett Stussy, who I haven't gotten to yet. Patrick you, Wilson. Season three, I think. Okay. Lou Solverson, Carrie Coon, Gloria Burgle. Jesse Plemons, Ed Blumquist, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Nikki Swango, David Thules, VM Varga, Ted Danson, Hank Larson, Bokeem Woodbine is Mike Milligan, and Brad Mann is Gail Kitchen. Yeah, there's you a know. lot of people in there I have none of us have gotten to. Yeah. Once you get to Russell Harvard, he's the last of the first season people. Okay. And and you know what? They've got a lot of really good actors in this. Yes. Oh yeah. Just overall, even for small parts. You've mm-hmm. got spectacular character actors. Yeah, like the the, the guy who plays Nygaard's brother is really good. Oh, David Thules. I uh, I'm not familiar with him as an actor. Oh, he's uh, Lupin from Harry Potter. Oh, okay, I didn't realize. That's that. where I recognized him from. Yeah, so I mean, Ted Danson, fantastic. You know, it's. Wait a minute. No, not David. No, David Thules is the chief. I no. think he isn't. He's not in the season. I'm just saying, in general, the, the, all the actors oh. on this list are. Wait, you know, no, David Thules is, does not. Ex- he's not a person. Oh, he's not in. <laughs> he's this been season. dead for ten years. Ooh, <laughs> I'm the he's ghost. In a later season, he's yeah, in, he's in, in season, season three. three. Okay, yeah. yeah. Either oh. way, great character actor. Yes. Uh, Martin Freeman as the best version of a British guy doing someone from Minnesota I've ever seen in my life. He has the best Minnesota accent. Of like through the movie anybody yeah it's crazy yeah I, w- I wonder what like a real Minnesota person would say about his accent because I mean obviously we're close enough in Chicago to to recognize it no well, I probably say pick it apart necessarily well, that that guy over there he's from Great Britain eh <laughs> but I mean he does a, a very convincing accent yeah sure. is that a Hobbit <laughs> <laughs> uh, some trivia on this one. Billy Bob Thornton came up with his character's haircut on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moment Noah Hawley saw him, he knew they were both on the same page regarding the character. If it was Billy Bob Thornton, like if it was anybody else, I, I wouldn't have believed it. With Billy Bob, he may have also cut it himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> entirely, he, entirely possible. Yeah, he Billy, he is such an amazing actor. Just And in this, he plays such... Uh, n- Threateningly, mildly threatening. Well, the whole the whole character arc of uh, have you seen when he has when he plays the reverend? Yeah. No, they haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah, I've gotten that far. Yeah, he, he does such a good job of just you know the playing playing the 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 goody two shoes and then turning around in the, in the exact same scene, showing himself to you know to the, the deputy Colin Hanks. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I couldn't think of his character's name. Gus Grimley. Grimley. Yeah. yeah. And the just his whole character, I find myself repulsed by him, but also rooting for him. We were talking about this a little bit uh, before the show. The fact that he's got this philosophical 
viewpoint where he'll just screw with people just to see what happens to create these philosophical situations that he wants to see how it's going to play out. He's a lot like Anton Sugar from uh, No Country for Old Men, but well, without I mean, the alien kind of demeanor. When I, when I described him pre-show, pre, uh, pre-show, I called him a low-key Loki, which I think is kind of accurate. You know, I mean, he, he fucks with people just for the sake of seeing what happens for no other reason, you know. And like, it would be so much easier for for him as a villain to stay, you know, just just stay quiet and stay within normal social mores and whatever and follow the line. But he just enjoys fucking with people too much to do so. Well, and it's almost like he's got this internal set of belief systems, but he's constantly testing those belief systems. Like, I think this is how the world works. Let me screw with this guy to see if the way I think the world works is the way it works. Oh, the whole a, scene when he's checking into the hotel, you know, is like, no pets, you know, pets are $10. He's like, well, what if I have a fish? <laughs> what if I have a spider? I have a bacteria. Bacteria aren't <laughs> pets. And then, and then and just in that brief interaction with the guy shoveling, he gets him to piss in the in the uh, manager's uh, gas tank. <laughs> right. And then calls it in on him. <laughs> that was great. So. Well, he's he's a master manipulator. I mean, you'll see more of it as you get later into the, the season. But he can intimidate and make people do what he wants, partially by intimidation and partially just because of the way he is. He's very, but, he's very menacing without being threatening. Right. Which is the haircut. <laughs> so uh, each season of the first season has a title that refers to a cone, parable, or philosophical paradox. So I was looking up the crocodile's dilemma. The rooster prince is a uh, is a um, Zen koan. Uh, uh, parable. Oh, that one's a parable. Yeah. Uh, each of them, the muddy road. I'm, you know, I haven't looked them all up, but they're all. You know, it's actually a pretty clever way of naming all the episodes. So, uh, this is actually the second TV spinoff of the movie Fargo. The first, I was unaware of that until this show. Yeah, the first was in 2003 and starred Edie Falco. From uh, Oz and Carmela Soprano. And Nurse Jackie. Yep. Yep. Nurse Jackie. So they shot the pilot and it was aired, but the series was not picked up. <laughs> and the Falco and the Snowman. Don't do that. I'm not even going to acknowledge that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking to see who else was in this. You know, for the. Well, and I almost wonder if it just was that that pilot didn't so perfectly ape the Cohen style. Because this, even if it wasn't called Fargo, you could tell it was in the same world. Mm-hmm. Aside from the Minnesota accents, it could have been set somewhere else in the Midwest. And what? still, it would have felt like Fargo. Now, the, here we go. Uh, Fargo, the TV show, directed by Kathy Bates. Huh. The first one? Yeah. And written by Robert Palm, Bruce Paltrow. Yes, yeah, that Paltrow. That Paltrow. Huh. Storyline. Marge Gunderson, the still pregnant police chief of Brainerd, Minnesota, investigates the murder of a small town pharmacist shot in a snowy parking lot by a stranger who is helping jump his car battery. Meantime, an old man dies of exposure in his ice fishing house, leading one of his sons to kidnap the body. Snow, snow everywhere. Hmm. Ice fisting? I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think it says ice fisting. <laughs> That's actually what it said. Mm. No, no, no. No? No. 
Ice Fist. Tab 12. Yeah, there we go. All right, so more trivia. Uh, in the first episode, Lester walks into a diner to meet up with Lorne, and a sign advertises White Russians for four ninety-five. Yep. Nice. So definitely a nod to the Big Lebowski. And uh, the name of the character, Deputy Nudsen, is a reference to Big Lebowski. The private eye that's following the dude was hired by the Nudsens, Bunny's family back in Minnesota. I'm annoyed. I didn't even catch that. I saw the sign, and it didn't even dawn on me. Cone Brothers, Big Lebowski, White Russians. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. I w- my, my, just, first thought was, reference. my first thought was, well, why wouldn't you just charge $5? <laughs> Nobody fucks I, with the Jesus. It didn't even dawn on me. Like I feel like a dummy. You yeah. sure? What I love about this is instead of the way they went with that failed pilot where they're just like, we're going to tell a, a new story with the same characters. This is a more or less direct sequel to the events of the film. Well, it definitely makes me think that I never want to go to Minnesota. <laughs> I don't know. It feels to me that they're they're retelling aspects of the story, but it's not a a hard reboot. It's a variation on the themes in the original film because there's pieces of the original movie but none of it is all connected in the same way sure well well there's a very explicit connection yeah i I think it's almost surely the same universe same everything oh they've they've definitely said if once you hit episode four you're like oh this definitely is the yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know. Even episode three, because that's as far as I got. And already you've got, if you're paying close attention, there is a framed picture of a red ice scraper. Oh, it's not a picture. Well, well, no, it is the actual ice scraper. And I was just like, okay, I, I know where this dude's money came from. Yep. Uh, keep watching. Yeah. It's fair gonna... enough. Okay, there may, may be the lie put to that later, no. but. No. <laughs> it's. Well, no I mean, it's, it's it's definitely, let's just say with that, it's definitely keeping with uh, the Coen Brothers style. Well, and oh, I would yeah. say Lester Nygaard uh, overall, at least from what I've seen, is so far a much more sympathetic character mm. than Jerry Lundegaard. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he, he is surrounded by assholes in his life. Yeah, I mean everybody. Almost it seems like every, every turn. Yeah, it seems like everybody in this town. Their their goal is to just beat down this poor guy. And the but, second, oh, I'm sorry. This I want episode one. The second his wife started talking to him, I was like, she's dead. There's <laughs> no way she's gonna make it past the first couple episodes. I mean, she's a real bitch. Yeah, maybe well, I married the wrong one, eh? There's a there's a great line though once you guys get to episode six which Pat may remember when uh, Lester's talking to his brother and something his brother says to him that let's just say Lester is a lot more layered than you would think. Oh, I firmly expect he is going to be a character that by the end may not be as terrifying, but is going to draw some serious parallels to uh, Breaking Bad. Where a guy that life shits on him and just like things turn after he snaps. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting character arc to watch for sure. And I, after, after the initial first episode, when uh, the thing happens, or was it, I think it was the first episode with his wife, I, I was like, okay, I'm all in at this point because that got really dark really fast. Oh, yeah. Really dark. <laughs> what are you going to do? Hit me? 
Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and it wasn't just the one hit that made me go, holy crap. Well, and that was, that was it when he, when he got that first whack in, it was like, shit. He realized, well, there's no turning back now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's freaking out with every additional hit. Right. And that's the part that just made it all that much darker. It's because the whole time he's like, oh no. Oh my. Oh geez. It's just, uh Until he finally commits <laughs> and climbs on top. And just, all right. Well, but he's still saying, oh gosh. Oh geez. <laughs> Don't go down there. Don't. Oh, there's nothing down there. Yeah, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> that was such a great scene. And then oh, with that, I mean, the thing is, he's you're sympathetic to him, but you don't. I didn't. Still don't like him. Well, I mean, he is a powerless, spineless little worm of a man, and yeah, he became that way because he's been bullied since he was little, and he's had a lot of bad turns dealt to him. Uh, I, I just, I don't ever feel at least uh, three episodes in that he was a piece of crap the way I felt about Jerry in, in the movie. Because Jerry got himself into that situation on, like we said before, Jerry got him into himself into that. Well, and let's, let's just not, not forget like the first opening scene for Jerry in Fargo is he's meeting some guys to, to, to kidnap his wife. Right. Right. And in this, he's sort it's, kind of, of, it's kind of a, a hard arc to recover from. Yeah, Lester Nygaard is seduced by the power that uh, Lorne Malvo offers, which is another uh, Lorne Malvo, uh, Anton Sugar kind of parallel, where he's almost this force that enters people's lives of philosophy and changes them. Mm-hmm. Although Lorne is trying to give people the tools that they can do something with. And what he wants them to do is not necessarily the best for them. But he's still, he's going to be like, I'm going to give you the ability to make decisions for yourself. Because you're a person that doesn't have the ability to do that. He's an agent of chaos. Yeah. I like what he calls up the older brother and tells him that, you know, his father left everything to his favorite younger son. Oh my god, and he starts beating him with the uh with the hockey stick. He tries stick. to kill him with a hockey stick immediately. <laughs> and Molly does draw a direct parallel uh to Marge Gunderson, for sure, but they're not the same character. Well the, no. the couple that I thought was going to be the parallel to them was the chief and his wife, and well they, they ended that pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That was ugh. I was sad. Yeah, if you're <clears throat> on the fence about watching this Get off the damn fence. Yeah, get off the fence. Start watching it. I hear the quality dips in season three. That's just like people who are fans of the show didn't like three as much as one and two. But apparently two's even better than one. So well, I mean, It's like the show Heroes. You know, just because the rest of it sucked doesn't mean season one isn't great enough to watch on its own merit. Right. I mean, I'll so, still I won't be ha- I won't be, you know, unhappy that i watched this you know if season three falls to shit i'm not unhappy that i watched dexter because it ended like you know the last season was awful yeah i i'm looking forward to watching at least the first two seasons of this yeah same here or true detective where people always talk about how amazing the first season is and the second one was garbage well i don't want to get into that (laughs) because i'm on the other side of that argument and this is not that show i want to see that show some point we could do the Rockford Files and uh, True Detective. That that's <laughs> going to be kind of all close. <laughs> yeah, the word detective is used in both epis, both seasons. That's about it that you have right there. Well, there's, we're not going to find a, a a then for True Detective at all. Probably not. 
Yeah, they didn't exactly have that uh, genre. Kalachek, the Night Stalker. That's 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 more anyway. It's closer than the Rockford Files. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Kiss, Kiss tour footage. I don't know. Yeah, Kolchak the Night Stalker is more metal than Kiss. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) It's not wrong. Shut up. The hell were we talking about? uh, Trying to talk about Fargo, but I think we're at this weird spot where we don't want to spoil it for each other, mostly me, since I'm the furthest behind, and definitely not for anyone who's considering watching it and hasn't. Yeah, but I I would just say the acting, the casting, the writing, the cinematography, everything about this is top-notch. Yeah, and it's it's not as – the nice people in this are not as nice as they were in the, the movie. It, it's not the oh gosh, you know, oh gosh, you know, shucks, bedarn kind of thing. This is a lot more. Well, Molly's a very likable character. Oh yeah, Mo- yeah, and Gus is too. I would say. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're both good people who've. Well, Gus made some bad decisions, but sure. Yeah, Gus may not be cut out for being a police, police officer. officer. Yeah. Well, but uh, the bad guys in this, at least as far as I've gotten, are way more competent than the criminals in the film. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, especially um, Deaf Guy and his friend. Yeah, have you seen Deaf Guy and his friend, Josh? Yeah, they okay. they show up in uh, end of two, beginning of three, and they're pretty heavily featured in three. Yeah, that they they prove to be pretty competent the further you get in as well. And menacing. Yes, very yeah. much so. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this. This is exactly my jam. Just aside from the fact that both the film and the uh, series are unlike almost anything else where you have these things that while there is violence and there is crime, that's not really what it's about. It's about the characters and it's about the characters lives and how, what happens when they interact. Yeah. And it, and I agree with you on that. It's not the, the crimes itself is actually the backstory to it. No one. I mean, I think, I think if you got to the end of one of these and one of these crimes was not solved, nobody would be, upset about it yeah I, I, this almost feels to me like some of the best of elmore leonard's stuff the the series does where you've got all these interesting characters on their own arcs that are positioned in a long burn collision course with one another and some of them collide early and some of them you can see them heading towards each other but i, I haven't seen the point at which their arcs intersect but i can see it coming I, I love stories like that, you know? Yeah. Like yeah, a Get Shorty, a Jackie Brown. Go. Mm-hmm. You know, movies. Yeah. Things like that, yeah. It's incredibly well-written. Pulp Fiction, even, really. Yeah. Good to that. But definitely, I think we're we're at that weird point where, like Josh said, we don't want to spoil it for each other or anybody who's listening. Um, do you want to do a thumbs up, thumbs down on this? I think it's pretty obvious, but let's do it. Up. Uh, well, thumbs up, thumbs up. <laughs> I'm gonna keep watching, and I'm, you know, gonna keep. I, I'm gonna go out and get. I, I regret. I regret. I regret not picking up the Fargo that had, came with a snow globe. They had a couple. How many? I don't even know how many years ago. So this is gonna be one of those Josh time warps where I think it's only like two years ago, but it was actually like twenty. Um, they had a. They sold the Fargo box set with a snow globe in it. Of um her and the I think her and the cop and the cop car and the car drove off the side of the side of the road. Oh, oh sweet, yeah. So, thumbs up, thumbs up. 
Oh, by the way, quick uh, bit of trivia on the first movie. Did you guys notice in the credits that somebody is credited with the, their name of the prince symbol? Yeah, that's one of the victims in the very beginning. Yeah, the guy that runs and gets shot in the back. Yeah, he's credited in the credits as the prince symbol, but it wasn't prince. <laughs> it was just a guy that didn't want his name in the film, and he decided, you know, as a, as a tribute to Prince being from Minnesota. Huh. You know, Nice. Put put the print symbol down. Okay, so I just looked it up. There's multiple snow globes. There's her uh, at the wood chipper, and then her at the uh, crime oh, scene. Wood- with God, that wood chipper one would be amazing to have. Well, they're currently thirty dollars on eBay. Oh, that's not bad at all. No, that's not terrible. Yeah. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs up for me. I have <laughs> first the Orville. Uh, rocks my world which i just finished that first season and now this has proceeded to do the same so yeah i definitely agree with that yeah overwhelming thumbs up for me uh my expectations for the series were super high i I was gung-ho to do the show so i would finally get off my butt and start watching it and my expectations were exceeded for the uh series and i'd forgotten how much i love the original and it was much further back than I recall for the snow, seeing the snow globe because it came with a, it was a, a VHS tape. <laughs> so there's that. Oh, too bad you didn't buy that. I know, right? Um, <clears throat> but they're available. They're on a, they're on eBay. Yeah, I would uh, definitely thumbs up on both. Um, it's a it's a show I'm definitely going to keep watching, and I did not remember just how much I liked the movie. So yeah, eight yeah. thumbs up. Nice. So, Joel, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going in style. Where? Where are we going? I know. I'm like... We're watching the Art Carney, George Burns original going in style, and then we're watching the Alan Arkin, Morgan Freeman, and Michael Caine going in style. Zach Braff directed. Yep. Zach Braff directed. Nice. Well, if you want to uh, give us a call, give us your thoughts on Fargo or make fun of our Minnesota accents, you can give us a call at 708 now Wrap. That's 708-669-9727. Right. If you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blu-ray, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. And if you want to give us a call. Nope. Yeah, you thought I was going to do it, didn't you? I totally thought you were going to do it. (laughs) No, I have a post-it note up here on my screen now that says don't read it twice. (laughs) Don't say it again in the second half. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so thanks for listening. Leave us a voicemail. Yeah, definitely leave us a voicemail. Leave us a voicemail and tell us, give us some your best Minnesotan What's number, accent. Mike? What's the number to leave a voicemail, Mike? No, oh, Josh. Josh knows it. Okay. <laughs> Screw you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> so, all right. So, yeah, leave us a voicemail. Come and to our site, fortigo14.com. Leave us some reviews. Leave us some comments, even on iTunes. Hey, you and can stuff. even interact with to us on Twitter at fortigo14. Yeah, on Facebook, all that stuff. So, there you go. All right. It's time to end it, don't you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'll make some eggs. Let's all be funny.